as, as Chris said, on Thursday and Friday, quite a few of us were in this room and we were uh, soaking in the Leadership Summit. Just two days of world-class leadership training, vision casting, inspiration, and it was amazing. I have been a part of, of the summit for mostly for 20 years now, just attending, sometimes participating. And it's, it's an imperative on, on me as a leader that I uh, do stuff like that regularly because I want to grow. I want to grow in my leadership. And at E3, we say, look, leadership is not a matter of having a, a title after your name or a position. Everybody is a leader because leadership is just this. It's influence. It's influence. And everybody has influence somewhere. If you're a member of a family, you're part of a family, you have influence in your family. If you're a teacher, you have influence in your classroom. If you work a job, you have influence in your job. And if you don't have any of that, guess what? You can influence yourself. So everybody is a leader. Everybody is. And so we all should take responsibility for that and try to grow in our leadership. And the Leadership Summit is one of the ways that I do that. But I, I do it through other ways. I constantly am trying to, to get better as a leader, quite frankly, because, you know, I, I am entrusted with the awesome responsibility of leading this church. And the stakes are high. The stakes are high for, for how well I take that leadership role seriously. And, and if I stumble and if I fall, I, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous of what the ramifications of that leadership stumble might be. So I try to grow. Because truth is, I just have to get better. I have to get better. None of this comes naturally to me. So I, I read things constantly. And just a couple weeks ago, I was reading a book about leadership and it said one of the things that, that leaders have to do for organizations or families or churches is they have to make sure that there's clarity and alignment around some very important things, some core ideas of an organization or a family or a church. And so what you've stumbled in here today is you've stumbled into something that we're calling sort of a DNA series, a series that just lets you know this is what E3 is about. This is who we are. These are the hills we'll die on. These are the dreams that we have. And I, and I want to do that because I believe that you should know if you're, if you're kind of tasting this community, if you're trying it out, I want you to know what you're in for. I like to tell people my mother only ever played one practical joke in her life. And it came around 1975. Um, we had, uh, you know, milk at every dinner, every meal. Um, and so the one practical joke that my mother ever played in her life was the day that she substituted buttermilk for our regular milk. Yeah, exactly. I hate buttermilk. I hate it. So I don't know what got into her that day, but she, you know, she just got, gave us our milk, and I mean, she's snickering over the side. Uh, I, took a, I took one sip, just spit it back into my, my glass. My sister took a, a sip. She's five years older than me. Spit it all across the table, which tells you everything you need to know about the way our two personalities work. But the, the point is, like, we thought we were getting one thing. We took a sip. Whoa. And that's what I don't want to happen at E3. I want, if you're here checking us out, or if you've been here for a while, I want you to know, as best I can tell you, what you're sipping. I don't want you to take it and go, like, whoa, 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 where did that come from? And so we used to call this thing Vision Sunday, but, but I, I began to believe that we actually needed more than one Sunday to kind of lay some things out. So I'm calling this a DNA series. What are you getting into? 
What are you trying out? What, are you, what tires, what's, what's, what's underneath the hood of the tires that you might be kicking? And one of the first things that, uh, as I said, learning about leadership, one of the first things that you have to have clarity and alignment are, are these things called mission, vision, and values. This book I was reading just said, man, everybody's got to know it. They've got to know it, and they've got to have alignment. Now, if you're not familiar with mission and vision and values, I'm going to lay out just a couple other ways to understand these concepts today. So another way to say mission and vision and values is that you really need to know the purpose. Why do we exist? Why are we here? And you need to know the dreams we have. Where is this place going? And you need to know the rules and the guidelines. What's out of bounds? at this place? What's, what's inbounds? How will we do our business, right? And then uh, I kind of distilled it to uh, yet another level, and that is today we're just going to be talking about the what of, of E3, and we're talking a little bit about the how. What is E3? What is it that we will, we will uh, draw lines in the sand around, and how will we get this done? And I just want you to know that. And I want us to have alignment around it because that's where things start to get interesting and, and communities start to get momentum. Now, this text that we're going to be looking at, we're going to look at the same text for the next few weeks. And uh, it's, I got an interesting relationship with it. Back in December uh, last year, uh, all of the guys at, at E3, we, we went away for the weekend. We call it a men's retreat, men's advance. And uh, we just go away for the weekend and, and we, we try to get honest with each other and honest with ourselves. And uh, they asked me, they said, uh, Pastor Eric, would you, you know, um, lead us in communion for the last session? Talk to us. I said, sure. So I went out there and was wrestling with, with what text was I going to use. And, and literally, the, right before I went to bed, I just got guided to this text. And, um, and so I spoke from it. And, and as, I, as I told the guys and I shared with the guys, uh, instantly I was like, man, I want to share this with E3. So I've been waiting for eight months to get this out of my heart. So get ready, right? No, um, this has been just like, it just kind of sunk deeply inside me. And I was like, man, I really want to share just some stuff that God just brought out of this text. And so what I want to do is, is walk through the text real basically today, illuminate a couple things that might be confusing. And then I want to show you why this text speaks so deeply to me uh, regarding our DNA. So here we go, starting uh, as Maisha read in, in verse 2. Before he was taken up, Jesus, uh, working in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus instructed the apostles he had chosen. Now, apostle means messenger. Everybody say messenger. So these are the guys and, 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 the, and the people that had, had hung around Jesus while he was teaching and, and healing people. And then he started to call them apostles because, look, he's like, I got a message to give to the world, and you guys are the messengers, the apostles. Now, the context is this all happens after Jesus' death by cross, by crucifixion, and after his resurrection. So he's come back to life. He's teaching them. Um, after his suffering, verse 3, he showed them that he was alive with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom. This is important, God's kingdom. Now, keep in mind that, that Jesus is Jewish. And his followers at this point are mostly, almost entirely Jewish. What you need to know is that God's kingdom to a first century Jew was not an abstract thing. It was not heaven. It was not clouds. It was not angels. It was earth. It was now. 
It was literally, when is God going to come and rule this place? When is God going to be king? When is that going to happen? And Jesus is talking to them. It was a central message. The kingdom is now, Jesus has said. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is in you. That was his message while he was teaching. And he keeps on teaching them that same thing. Verse 4, while they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem. Uh, I don't know if you guys pick up on this, but, but I, I believe this is a thing. Uh, do you know why that little phrase is important, while, he, while they were eating together? Because ghosts don't eat. You see, Jesus, we believe by faith that when he came back to life, he came back to life. And so when you read the stories of him after his resurrection, they usually involve when Jesus shows up, everybody freaks out, it's Jesus. And he's like, hey, cool, give me something to eat. Because ghosts don't get hungry. And he's like, no, I'm back, all of me, I'm back. And so they're eating together. And he says, look, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father had promised. That's important. Like, not just wait, just in general. Wait for, for what the Father had promised. He said, look, this is what you heard from me. John, his cousin, John the Baptist, he baptized with water. But in only a few days, Jesus says, you're going to be baptized with something called the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that next week. And then, listen, as a result... Those who had gathered together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? So what's that question mean? Jesus, are you, is God going to be king now? Jesus, are you going to make this happen now? Is God going to rule now? And the reason this is so important is because when God rules in Jewish thought, it is a beautiful kingdom of something called shalom. Let me hear you say shalom. Shalom is this powerful Hebrew word. That means peace and contentment and security and rest and fulfillment. And they said, is God going to rule now? Can he bring the kingdom of Shalom now? Jesus replies, look, it's not for you to know the times or the season that God has set by his own authority. You can't know that. But he said, listen, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Then after Jesus said these things, as they were watching, this is freaky, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And this is the part that got me to speak to these guys, right? Eight months ago or whatever. While he was going away and as they were staring toward heaven, and when I read that, I just got this image of a bunch of, a bunch of guys just like, saying like, are you catching this? And they're standing there and then it says, Two, um, two men in white robes. So these are angels, messengers of God, appear, and they said, Galileans, why are you standing there looking toward heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go. And the, the image that, that I got just captured by is I felt like that sometimes that's the church. The church is really good at like, man, we're just going to stare at God. And like God sends messengers and he's like, and they're like, what are you doing? They're like, oh, we're staring at God. And I feel like God sometimes like, church, why are you standing there? Why are you standing there? I've given you stuff to do, which is what we're going to talk about today. But sometimes we fall into the trap of like, I just want to stand here. God's so awesome. And he's like, why are you just standing there? 
Because I believe that the church has been given stuff to do. And the call that we have to wrap our heads around is, how do we stop standing there and start doing the things that God has called us to do? And so to get clarity and alignment on, well, what is it that God's called us to do? So I want to just explore this idea of mission, vision, and values. And as best I can, I want to be as clear as I can with you. If you're here checking this thing out, what are you getting into? Now, I want to start by saying the disciples, uh, the apostles, they asked Jesus the wrong question. And it happens in verse uh, 6 when they say, look, God, Lord, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? On the one hand, that's completely valid. Is God going to be king now? Is God going to be king now? But here's the problem. When you ask the wrong question, you start solving the wrong problem. When you start asking the wrong question, you start solving the wrong problem. Or to put it in our terms, when you don't have clarity on your mission, you start solving the wrong problems. And this whole topic of mission uh, really came home to me over the past few weeks. I stumbled across this documentary on Netflix, as I do all the time. The documentary is called Mission Control. And it's literally a documentary about mission control in Houston, Texas. And all of, of the, the people who sent you know, astronauts into space through the 60s and what that program looked like. And it's, in the, it's embedded in the name, Mission Control. And I would get so preoccupied with how well these folks knew their mission. And so we're going to kind of sit with this metaphor for a little bit. Uh, but to do that, I want to just show you the trailer of the, of the movie, and then we'll unpack a little bit. So why don't you guys go ahead and roll that. I used to sit outside at night and gaze at the moon. Never occurred to me that we would land people there. I had the feeling of what it meant. You know, we're making history. We were born for this day. We were meant to be here. This is no simulation. This is for real. That deal is tremendous. I can remember that as if it was a second ago. I cannot think of any place I'd rather be than to be here in Mission Control. They finally done us. We just landed on the moon. Oh, uh, here's We've had a problem. Okay. Stand by, they got a problem. Everybody keep cool. Let's solve the problem, but let's not make it any worse by guessing. I mean, I couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> it was a chaos. You're not gonna fix this one. We were in serious, serious trouble. There was only one thing for 48 hours to get those guys home. I'm not ashamed of it, I was glad. It was more than a country boy would ever see. We came into this room as a team, and we will leave as a team. I think it's amazing that out of nothing, they built this great institution. We wouldn't be here today without the achievements that those folks made and the strides that they took. The eagle is the here, don't relate to 
somehow or other, when we came together, we became capable of doing the impossible. I'm just proud of the people. If you're looking for patriots, they are they. Every one of them. Airmen from the planet Earth, first set foot upon the moon. So it's a powerful but very simple documentary. They just talk to these guys who, who uh, took upon themselves this mission to send people uh, into orbit and then eventually to the moon. And that mission, I was just struck with how much clarity they had about what it is they were supposed to do. And it told them, this is what we say yes to, this is what we say no to. If you know the mission, you know the problems that you're going to solve, and you know the problems that you're not going to solve. I read this quote that was attributed to Albert Einstein. He said, if you gave me one problem and gave me one hour to solve it, I would spend 55 minutes defining the problem. And I would spend the last five minutes solving it because the answers would all fall into your lap once you knew the problem. But a lot of times we just don't really know the mission. We don't know the problems that we're going to solve. And I want to illustrate this a little bit more with some of this more mission control things. Everybody remember Apollo 13, right? It was the, it was the, space, uh, the, the trip to the moon that they launched so that Tom Hanks could get another Oscar. <laughs> so... Uh, Gene Krantz, who was what they call the flight control director, he's like the guy in mission control. And he was actually in that trailer. And he's played by Ed Harris in uh, Apollo 13, the movie. And, you know, as soon as they they go through that uh, instance in, in in, in space where all of a sudden there's the phrase, Houston, we have a problem. And when they started Apollo 13, do you know what the mission was? Land on the moon which comes with a whole certain set of problems and solutions and questions. But as soon as that goes haywire, he actually says, there's a scene in the movie, he says, we have a whole new mission. And everything that we thought was pertinent to solving this is now off the table. We now have a whole new set of problems and definitions. So mission determines the problems, determines the answers, and you got to know it and you got to bleed it and there has to be no ambiguity about it. Uh, I'm going to show a a scene from where they shift their mission and it's just this uh, really, really powerful illustration of how when you know the mission, it it impacts what is important to you. So let's go ahead and roll that clip. You're telling me you can only give our guys 45 hours? That brings them to about there. Gentlemen, that's not acceptable. Whoa, whoa, guys. Power is everything. Power is everything. Without it, they don't talk to us. They don't correct their trajectory. They don't turn the heat shield around. We got to turn everything off now. They're not going to make it to reentry. What do you mean, everything? With everything on, the LEM draws 60 amps. At that rate, in 16 hours, the batteries are dead, not 45. And so is the crew. We got to get them down to 12 amps. How many? You can't run a vacuum cleaner on 12 amps, John. We have to turn off the radars, cabin heater, instrument displays, the guidance computer, the whole smack. Whoa, guidance computer? What if they need to do another burn? Gene, they won't even know which way they're pointed. The more time we talk down here, the more juice they waste up there. I've been looking at the data for the past hour. That's the deal? That's the deal. 
Okay, John. Then when we finish the burn, we'll power down the limb. All right. So up until that point, power in terms of amps was just part of the equation. But as soon as you knew what the mission was, get these guys home alive, it became the thing. Mission determines problems that you're going to solve, what you can say yes to, what you can say no to. Um, so here it comes. Like if you don't know this, if you're new to E3, I'm about to give you the mission of E3. I'm about to give you the, the thing that determines the problems we will solve. And it is simply this. E3 is called to make disciples of Jesus. It comes from Matthew 28. Jesus tells his followers, which become the church, look, go make followers, make disciples. This is what we do. This is what we do. This is what we say yes to. So like we have people that come to us often, some of you very well-intended, very passionate people, and you say, hey, can we try this idea at the church? Can we do this thing at E3? The filter that we're going to put it through is, does this thing help make disciples? And if we as the staff and the leadership of the church say, oh, yes, that's a no-brainer, then we're like, yeah, we're all about it. If we're like, well, we're not sure, we might ask more questions. Or if we get like, you know what? We don't see the connection. For us, we have to say no. It's a good thing. It might be a great thing. But if we can't make it fit into our mission, then it can't be the problem that we're going to solve. This is the thing. Like if you're here, we need to have clarity and alignment around this issue. This is what we do at E3. Now, uh, what I want to do is give you an example of, of what problem we will solve. Because if you've hung around church world a while, this might not be new to you. You might have been at a bunch of churches that would say, oh, yes, we make disciples. Well, what I would like to think is something that E3 has, has labored over. A problem that we have solved is the problem of how. Because I know in my life, I've, I've, I've been around churches for a while and they would say, yes, we want you to be a disciple. And I'm like, well, how do you become a disciple? Like, well, we'll pray for you and we'll cross our fingers and maybe one day you'll just come out of church and bam, you're a disciple and your life looks like Jesus. But I've lived enough life to know that it ain't random. Life change and transformation is not random. And so we began to dig into like, do we want this making disciples to be a problem that just randomly gets solved or can we do something about it? Can, is this the problem we want to solve? And we said, yes. So we asked ourselves, well, how do people actually grow? How do people actually grow? And the answer we came up with is like, well, people grow by arranging their lives in particular ways to allow God to partner with them for spiritual transformation. People grow by partnering with God, by arranging and patterning their lives for spiritual growth. And it's no different, sorry if this is kind of a downer, it's no different than if you say, man, I want to grow physically, I want to get myself in shape. You would arrange and pattern your life to get yourself in shape, would you not? Would you not? Would you pattern your life around going to the gym? Or would you pattern your life around workouts? Or would you pattern your life around nutrition? Yes. Guess what? Spirituality is no different. Habits and patterns make room for God to work to produce life change. That's a problem that we want to solve. 
because we don't want to just say, let's make disciples and hope and pray for the best. Let's make disciples and then do everything we can to solve that problem. And so I want to just kind of spend a couple minutes by showing you what we came up with. Because this whole idea of habits and patterns, it matters. And so this is what I would tell you if you are new to E3 or if you're old and you just haven't heard it yet. We put patterns and arranging our lives in three big buckets. The first bucket is worship. We come into a space like this and we sing songs that remind us of who God is and who we are and why we need him. And it realigns us sometimes. We get out of whack Monday through Saturday and we need that recentering. What's most important? Where is God in this relationship? Where is me? We worship together. But it's not the only thing. We also call people to participate in growth groups, little communities of people where folks can take off their masks and they can support each other and they can challenge each other and they can learn together and they can celebrate together and they can mourn together because we believe that human beings grow in profound, unique ways in tiny communities. But there's more. We also have this thing we call service. And that's a big, broad bucket. Service really can mean anything from like sacrificing some time to serve a cup of coffee on a Sunday morning to going to Uganda or Haiti or Guatemala or serving at the food pantry. But service, I like to tell people like, if you, if you want to gauge where you're at with your humility quotient, Go serve somewhere and see what your attitude's like while you're serving. And that'll tell you how good you're doing with humility and pride. And let me tell you why that's important. Because I think that humility is the skeleton key to spiritual growth. I think the only, the only type of person that God can't really work with very well is a proud person. Because we're usually the ones who say, I don't need him. So humility is the thing that actually opens us up to say, I need something. So service. And these are not things that you do just once and check it off, the, you know, check the box off. You do this over and over and over again because the last time I checked, if I go to the gym once, I'm not gonna come out of there like looking great. Probably gonna look just like this. If I go run once, I'm not gonna be challenging Usain Bolt for any race. It is patterns and habits and on and on and on and incremental change that, that you start to grow. So this is the problem we wanted to solve. This is the thing that I so deeply want us all to have clarity and alignment on. We make disciples. We make them. And this is the way we make them. And if we believe deeply that if you do this with your whole heart, and you're open to what God has for you, you will see your life change and you will grow to be more like Jesus. Now, um, I want to kind of spend some time on, on what might be called values, which is another way to say, what's the how? How do we do our business at E3? Like, what are the guidelines and the rules with which we will do this? What do we value? What do we believe? Gene Krantz, the guy that was the flight control director for Apollo 13, he was actually the flight control director for, um, for Apollo 1. And I don't know if you, how well you guys know your NASA history. Apollo 1 was, was uh, getting ready to launch, and the astronauts were in the capsule. And in the capsule was like pure oxygen. And a, something happened, a spark or something. 
But Apollo 1 caught fire on the launch pad and three astronauts died and they, they actually listened to them, you know, die. And, uh, and Gene Krantz, you know, he, he came back into his team and he said, first of all, um, in, a, in an extreme act of accountability, he said, that was our fault. We were responsible for that. And then he said to his whole team, he said, I want you to go back to your offices. If you have a blackboard or a whiteboard, he said, I want you to write two words on it. And he said, I want you to write the word tough and I want you to write the word competent. And he said, these were the values. This was how they were gonna do their business from Apollo 1 on. And he said, here's what the words meant. Tough, he said, means we will never shirk our responsibility and we will forever be accountable to what happens. We will never shirk our responsibility and we will forever be accountable to what happens. And then he says, competent. We will never ever again take anything for granted. He said, basically, they had an opportunity to tell those in, in charge, that capsule is not ready. Apollo 1 is not ready. And they decided to kind of pause and it cost three astronauts their lives. That's the power of values. And one of the guys in the documentary said that from that point on, we committed to be perfect. Now, we know perfection is not a thing. But he said, that's what will guide us. We will competent and tough from here on out. There's power in values. And I think actually more than anything else, it's the thing that you will experience. If you come here, you will soak up the values of this place. You'll see how we serve coffee. You'll see how we worship. You see how we treat each other. So I'm gonna tell you the values that we've been kicking around as a staff uh, in some form for almost a year now. And these are almost done. They might change a little bit, but this is what we value here at E3. This is what we believe. We believe in and we value design because design is intentionality. We value design because it means we have to create processes and environments and experiences that do something. We don't people want people going like, well, what was that for? I don't know. Because there's only so many resources to go around. We value making room for people because we want people who aren't just like us or me, we want more than just like white men in their 50s to experience this. So we want to make room, we want to learn from people. And we want to make room for people who don't own faith yet. Like I always love it when people are like, can I come to your church? I don't believe in God. Where else would I want you to go? <laughs> we value authenticity because we don't believe in masks. We value just, I should have the right to be real with you people and you should have the right to be real with me. We value humility because I don't have all the answers. I've got some. And I believe, like I said, that humility is the skeleton key to the whole thing. We value grace first. You know, grace first is, is just the fact that before anything else, you know that I'm on your side. You know that I'm rooting for you. You know that I am for you. So when someone comes at me and maybe they want to talk some trash or some gossip about you, my first response is to be for you and to believe the best about you, always. We value trust. We value trust. 
I want to be able to like set people free to do the things that, that, that they're passionate about doing and say, man, I trust you. Just go get it done. And then we value growth. We value growth because I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. And I hope not to be the same person 10 years from now. God is in the growth business. We always say it doesn't matter where you start when you walk into these doors. It's where God wants to take you. So when we violate these things, these are serious things to us. If we're not working this way, we need to own it and get better. These are the guidelines and the rules by which we uh, conduct our business. And, and that question, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit is working in and through us? That's just a question I loved. It captivated my thinking. When you're a part of a team and all of a sudden you're working together and something happens that you can't explain, oh, what was that? We just did something that was way beyond our expectations. What did that look like? Well, it looked a lot like that to me when I sat, when I've been a part of great teams. Values. Last thing I want to kind of end you guys, end, end with you is, is what are our dreams? What are our dreams? What, what type of place is E3 going to be? Like, where are we going? And I want to tell you, if, if you came here and, and, and you're waiting for me to say, like, my dream is a 10,000-seat auditorium, you've come to the wrong place. I don't dream like that. And that's okay. You know, our founding pastor, Mark McNeese, he, he, he was a great visionary in, in a certain way. Like, he envisioned this facility with those businesses up front. My vision is much more about people and hearts, probably because that's my story. So I want to tell you what I dream about. I want to tell you where I want this community to go. I dream, I dream, I dream of self-sacrificing people. I dream of, of people that in the coming years will become increasingly self-sacrificing and they will say, look, I will, uh, I will set aside my agendas and my dreams and what I have planned for my life for what God's doing in my life and I will orient myself around others and their needs because I can trust God for what he's doing in my life and I just want to help somebody else first. I dream of more people who will just get up and go. I dream of people who will do like, like uh, some folks in our community did so many years ago when the earthquake hit Haiti, it hit on a Sunday, a Saturday night Sunday, before church was over on Sunday, they had already committed to go to the airfield. They just went and they figured it out literally as they were driving. What are we gonna do? How are we gonna get there? I dream of people who are just like, I'll go. I just wanna go. I'll go to Uganda, Haiti, Guatemala, food pantry, French town. I dream of people who will live their lives with intentionality, who will say, man, uh, as, as we heard at the GLS, I'm going to be dead a long time. I'm only going to be alive a short time. So maybe I should make some hard choices with how I spend that time. And I dream of people who will say, you know what? Maybe I've played enough Xbox. Maybe I've binged enough Netflix. Maybe I've done enough of all these things and I've got friends and family and faith that need investment. So I'll learn to say no to a lot of things and I'll say yes to the deepest things in life. 
I dream of people who are intentional. I dream of people who are compassionate. I, this is, I saw a, a, a YouTube video, it was in my feed this week, and I, I wish I would have clicked on it, but I didn't. The title of the video was uh, like 10 ways that Christians say no. And this is what I mean by that. Maybe you've been in a growth group. Maybe you've been in a growth group like this where somebody's like, they say, hey, what's going on in everybody's life? And, and somebody in your growth group says, ah, man, I'm, I'm lost my job and I don't know, I don't know if I have enough money to last the week. Have you ever been in a growth group where people are like, I'll I'll pray for you, brother. I dream of people who go, I'll pray for you and and I'll get my wallet out too. I dream of people who are radically compassionate. Who just say, if there's a need, I'll fill it. That I don't need need to protect my stuff because I follow this God. He'll take care of me somehow. I... I uh, dream of people who are other-focused. And uh, as I was thinking about this this morning, I dream of people who, before they decide to have a debate on Facebook, they decide to be curious on Facebook. Tell me why you believe it. Tell me about your life. Tell Tell me why that matters so deeply to you. Instead of saying, all right, well, let me tell you how you're wrong. Let me say, Tell me what I don't know about the world. Let me focus on you instead of focusing on me. And I dream, oh, get this. I dream of people who come into these walls and get healed. I dream of people who come in sad, mourning, lonely, hurting, without purpose. And maybe it happens instantaneously or maybe it happens over time but I dream of people who come into community and serve and worship and they see God bring something to life that they've never seen before and they walk out one day and they're like, oh man, I know exactly what I was put here to do and I can be grateful to God because he's doing good things and I have joy in my life. That's what I dream of. That's what I dream of. That's what I dream of. This is what I wrote out this morning. What if E3 was known as the church in Tallahassee where you don't have to pretend? What if we were just known as a place where you just come as you are? Just come as you are, man. They'll take anybody. What if E3 was known as a place where we can tell you about a spiritual life in such a way that we would say, look, this ain't complicated. This ain't rocket science. It ain't easy, but it's not complicated. And you can see God change your life. What if we were the church in Tallahassee where you could see not just your life change, but your friends' lives change and your family's lives change? What if we were that church? And I guess I would just leave you with this question. Do you want in on my dream? Do you want in on our dream? You see, um, I, don't, I don't want to be rude about it, but when you have alignment, some, some things fall off the table. And you might have been, you might be at E3, this might be your third, fourth, 20th, 10th year, and you're like, you know what? Actually, that doesn't resonate with me. That's okay. That's okay. 
But what I want to call you to is like, do you want in on this dream? Will you make, will you make our dream your dream? Because we need you. We need you. The staff can't do this alone. I can't do it alone. We need people who are willing to say, man, I will go all in on the discipleship process. I'll step in. We need business leaders who know how stuff gets done to say, I'll help you with systems and processes. We need musicians. We need people to help at E3 Kids. We need student ministry volunteers. We need hospitality volunteers. I've said it before. There is not a ministry in this church that is volunteer rich. There's room for you. This is what we're about. This is where we're going. And this is how we're going to do it. And man, I can tell you, it's going to be an amazing ride if you want to go on it with us. Amen. Amen.